the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD, news from the worlds of business and finance with Your Financial Editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can grab it there. I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. Hope things are going well for you and your family and you're enjoying the weekend. Um, Good program planned for you. Interesting top stories. A lot of economic data. We had that two-day Federal Reserve meeting. We'll dive into that. Joining me in just a little bit, uh, University Professor of Law, Executive Director at the Liberty and Law Center at George Mason University, Mr. David Bernstein is going to be uh, joining me. Right now, Students for Fair Admissions, uh, which is a nonprofit membership group, um, has a case before the Supreme Court. And it has to do with college admissions. So you might be wondering why we're going to be talking about that. Well, the case involves Harvard and the University of North Carolina. And the Supreme Court is trying to, well, they're not trying to, they're going to determine if their admission process is proper and legal and constitutional. So right now, um, there's prejudice involved against Asian and white applicants And there's uh, favor extended to black and Hispanics. So we're going to be talking about that because, as we all know, for our country to be successful in all ways, including economically and financially successful, we have to have the best people in place to take us there, to take us forward Um, in the best way possible, not because of race or gender or any of the other garbage, but simply because they earn it. So we're going to be talking about that and see, uh, get uh, Professor Bernstein's uh, input as to uh, how that may help or damage, depending on what the uh, Supreme Court rules, uh, how that may help or damage, as I mentioned, our economy and our financial situation going forward. Looking forward to that. That's really interesting, I think. Um, so this week it was interesting. We had a deal and a no deal. We did see that Johnson & Johnson came out on Tuesday, said they're going to acquire a Biomed Incorporated. This deal was valued at $16.6 billion, and Johnson & Johnson is looking to boost the healthcare cardiovascular devices business that they have. So the payment represents over a 50% premium of uh, a Biomed's last closing price before the offer was made. So real uh, sweet deal for the shareholders for sure. And there's some other perks involved as far as a cash payment per share owned if certain commercial and clinical milestones are achieved. So the transaction broadens uh, J&J's MedTech as a cardiovascular innovator, advancing the standard of care in one of healthcare's largest unmet need, and that's heart failure and recovery. So going to be interesting to see how this all works out and, of course, how patients uh, may benefit from this deal. Um, Also, I wanted to mention it because that's your money. You have to remember, um, and we all have to 
keep it in the back of our minds uh, at a minimum that Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, Moderna, you you name you know all of these companies that were involved in the virus and the billions and billions and billions of dollars that were fronted to them, and that's your money again, American taxpayer dollars. Uh, that were fronted to them, and you, we get to keep an eye on what they're doing with it. Uh, obviously, they, um, in my opinion, are uh, taking advantage of the virus situation, coming out with um, all of these boosters and basically trying to get uh, clients for life um, because it's going to be – they want it to be mandated, things of that nature. So, um, like I said, that was a $16.6 billion deal. I pray that it's uh, it does good things for people that have heart problems, um, preventing them, helping them to recover. But uh, like I said, from a realistic standpoint, we also have to understand where that money came from. Um, and that's your money. So that's why we want to keep an eye on it. Interesting to see this week a U.S. judge blocked the $2.2 billion merger of Penguin Random House and Simon Schuster. So um, they basically or the judge basically um, agreed with the Justice Department that uh, these two joining together would create less competition. Um, And uh, it's kind of like the antitrust type of uh, viewpoint. So we had talked about that deal some time ago, but uh, right now it's on the uh, on hold. It's on the back burner. So uh, something else we've been talking about for years, um, this year a lot, well, the last couple of years a lot more than normal. But uh, despite all of these uh, public corporations championing their uh, environmental, social, and governance ESG investments, many are planning to suspend or reconsider their ESG efforts in the coming months. So KPMG, uh, and they put out a very in-depth report titled 2022 U.S. CEO Outlook. And obviously it assessed a wide variety of issues facing businesses in the next 12 months to come, uh, including economic turbulence, trying to find and keep talent for their workforce, technological developments, But they also realized that the uh, report showed 59% of the CEOs plan to pause or reconsider their ESG efforts in the next six months uh, because of the recessionary um, environment that they're anticipating. So uh, the whole ESG thing is just like the climate change. Um, It's just a hijacked a false narrative, and um, it's a play for power, it's a play for control, it's a play for money, and to redirect funds for re-election and pay people off, um, and it's not in our country's best interest if you're a traditionalist and you're looking to, uh, to you know, to, to keep our country the front runner in the world. Uh, This does just the opposite because like many of the other narratives that we've uh, been exposed to, um, number one, it's not true. And number two, it's uh, it's it weakens us in many, many ways, just like the conversation we're going to have about the college 
uh, admissions issue in just a little bit. So gas prices, diesel prices, energy prices in general, they're going up again. Uh, So it's interesting because this um, failed administration, if just a a month or so ago when uh, prices came down a little bit, they were taking credit for it. Well, prices went back up, even though they're um, threatening our national security because of releasing so much oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is asinine. Um, So what we saw this week with prices going up is Biden go to the microphone and criticize major oil companies, their, uh, in particular, their recent uh, earnings that they put out because they, they were very successful. Uh, you, you know, these energy companies, knowing what they've had to deal with, with the whole climate thing and environmental uh, terrorists and the little um, goofy Greta Thunbergs around the world, they they knew what they had to do to prepare for all this, and they did a great job. And for the shareholders of these uh, energy companies and down the supply chain that are associated with them, they're really being rewarded for it uh, in a very nice way. But uh, like I said, Biden decides to go to the microphone and he starts telling these uh companies, these energy companies, to direct some of their profits to boost their U.S. production and refining capacity. Well, guess what? Your Department of Energy and your Department of the Interior and other agencies are holding up all of that potential production and refining. We've talked in detail about the mathematical air that was back in the spring that has been holding up these permits and you still haven't fixed it. So, I mean, not that we expect the truth or anything accurate from this guy, but people behind the curtain, whoever you are, um, Americans, smart Americans see through this. They see through what you're trying to do. So what does he do also? He threatens these companies. And says that if they don't do what he says, they're going to pay higher taxes and face other restrictions. What other restrictions are you going to put on them? You cancel their projects. You won't give them their permits. You won't let them uh, go through with their leasing. What's already done is being held up. So, you know, this policy, which, again, is based on the false narrative of climate uh, change and the alarmists there and what they're trying to do. Um, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, you know, last week when I told you the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index came out and um, the three best areas in the country um, for rising home prices year over year was Miami, Tampa Bay, and then Charlotte. Well, I misspoke. It couldn't have been Miami because um, Al Gore said in 2020 Miami was going to be underwater, right? So I apologize. I, I mean, I thought I was reading it correctly, but, I, you know, I, I remembered that he said that. And, um, again, the, the alarmist, the lies, just so he could enrich himself and his money manager from Goldman Sachs. So... uh 
what they say is is helpful and the right thing to do, guess what? And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you put gas in your car too and you, you're paying all your other bills like my family is. And it's all very, very painful. But it hurts Americans. Um, it hurts world energy prices. We have this stupid transfer of wealth. Uh, that we had done away with where we didn't have to worry about the Saudis. We didn't have to worry about Venezuela. We didn't have to worry about OPEC plus cartel members. Not near as much. So you declare war on our energy producers. This is what you get. So um, I actually jumped on the conference call this week with the American Petroleum Institute because obviously they were going to respond to these accusations and threats by, um, you know, Biden, who has no backbone. You know, he's all talk. You know, I was telling a friend the other day, I think Biden's problem is he's been in politics, what, 50 years? So he's probably always had um, a state trooper, Secret Service, Maybe even private security. I don't know. But some type of security around him. So, you know, when he calls people dumb SOBs when they ask a good question, like he did in the White House, got called on the hot mic. When he starts calling people Jack and pointing his fingers in their face or threatening to do a push-up contest or telling the mayor down in Florida when after the hurricane a couple weeks ago, you don't F with a Biden See, he gets away with that because he always had security around him. Because I know some strapping 75, 80-year-old guys that if he did that to them, they would grab him by the collar, take him over, you know, or drag him out to the parking lot, whatever, and just let him have it. And that would be a quick cure for these, you know, this fake toughness that he has. There wouldn't be these kind of threats. Anyway, sorry, the American Petroleum Institute responded and they talked about logic and facts and benefits for Americans like the direct investment. If we were to follow the energy policies we had in place before this administration and even improve on it, the direct investment You know, you're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars over the next 10 years alone, plus the billions in uh, U.S. GDP. What about production? It would help production. It would bring down prices like they were before this administration took place. It would support 225,000 new New jobs over the next 10 years. And guess who else would benefit? The federal government. Because of the money and royalties alone, it's close to $5 billion. And then you have, you know, taxes and the bid revenue from natural gas, etc. So it was nice to be on that conference call and just to hear common sense and good ideas and solid, you can tell, just solid management being involved in doing the right things for our country and for the citizens. You know, the other thing we saw this week, wheat, wheat prices really spiked. And that was after the Russian 
uh, government announced that it would withdraw from the Black Sea Export Agreement. So that's going to have a very negative impact on these commodity markets. Uh, You saw things spiking up by five plus percent, whether it was, as I mentioned, wheat or soybean prices, corn, you name it. So after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, grain shipments from Kiev were halted. And this is a really big deal. Um, We're blessed because I don't think it's going to impact us near as much as a lot of other poor countries um, and cause starvation, just like you you hear countries um, warning about people freezing to death because of uh, energy uh, supply being disrupted uh, because of Russia, you know, over in Europe in particular. But they made that bed. Now, hopefully they'll learn from that, and all the voters, they'll learn from that. But that's been going on for the last five to ten years. So it was just a, an extremely slow train wreck. And now they're getting ready to go into the hard winter months, and they're going to have to deal with it. Um, and then on top of that, we're talking about uh, railway strikes. Can you imagine, with everything else going on, if the uh, rail railways don't deliver all of those sea containers that are coming off of the uh, ships into port so that they can get them to a tractor trailer driver so that they can get them to us or to our stores. It, this is, that's a terrible situation they have. And again, they lied. The administration said they had this all figured out and, you know, don't worry about it. There's not going to be any strikes. Well, that wasn't true. Their offers have been rejected. Um, we also saw House conservatives at the middle of the week. They, they were questioning the Securities and Exchange Commission chairman, Gary Gensler, over his potential violation of federal transparency laws uh, back in 2013 when he was working for uh, the Obama administration. So, um, you know, this is a guy that's in charge of overseeing and cracking down Wall Street on Wall Street firms for similar missteps, and he's being accused of skirting federal transparency and records laws. So I think, get ready for this, there's going to be a hearing on this, I think. Now, you know, there was an investigation into Gensler's handling of the collapse of MF Global Holdings. And um, if I remember right, that's John Corzine. So he was a senator from New Jersey, fast riser, Wall Street guy, um, and then he just self-imploded. Almost died. This was a guy that was in a, you know, had his private driver driving him, and he was late for something, going like 80 or 100 miles an hour, crashed. This bozo didn't have a seatbelt on, so he's lucky he was even around to go bankrupt. But anyway, there's questions about how that was handled by uh, Gensler and um, how certain things weren't disclosed. And, of course, he had a, a, a just a rock-solid alibi because he said um, he did not know how to access the official email, his business email, at home. So that's why he was using his personal email. You buy that? So, like I said, get ready for serious oversight investigations starting in January because um, Tuesday uh, – Uh, It's a new dawn. And if, of course, we have to hold everybody's feet to the fire. 
They have to do what they say they're going to do as fiscal, social, and moral conservatives. And if they don't, they'll be gone because people aren't buying that uh, that anymore. And I understand, you know, there's corruption and people manipulated and blackmailed and all the other stuff down inside the Beltway and around the country. Um, but people aren't going to put up with it. And I think a perfect example is what we're going to see on Tuesday with uh, with those that are elected and why they are being elected because of what they are promising. So I can't wait. I'm going to get my popcorn and uh, and really enjoy Tuesday after I vote. Uh, quick break, economic news and what the Fed did to us this week. I heard it from a friend. Who heard it from a friend. Who saw you up on Broadway. Mugging down with song. Do to listen to my sisters. Tell me from the start. You be playing games. Twisted with my heart. Yeah, he's me like. Free talk with news, weather, traffic, and sports for Mid-Maryland that you can count on. 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and as a podcast. Hope your weekend's going well. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. Uh, appreciate it. Have a good guest coming up in uh, just a couple minutes, Mr. Uh, David Bernstein. He's a university professor of law, the actually the executive director of the Liberty and Law Center at George Mason University. And we're going to be talking about a Supreme Court uh, case and college admission because w- we want to make sure the right people are getting in. We want to make sure it's fair uh, because we benefit from that as America uh, now and in particular going forward. So uh, definitely want to talk about that because it will have economic and financial impacts on our country one way or the other. It definitely will have that impact. So I talked about um, economic data. Very busy week. Um, We saw that the Chicago PMI, which is the business barometer known as the Chicago Purchasing Managers Index, dropped to a reading of 45.2 in October. So it was at 45.7 the previous month, came in at that 45.2. That was below what economists that were polled by the Wall Street Journal were looking for. It's below, obviously, 50, that reading, which indicates uh, contraction. So that wasn't very well uh, received. Then we saw the U.S. manufacturing activity uh, slow to the, the, the really the, the slowest pace in about two and a half years in the month of October. So the ISM, the Institute for Supply Management Manufacturing number, fell to 50.2 last month. Just, the, you know, 50 is at break even. 50 is growing Below is contraction. So we're right at 50.2. Now, as I always like to remind people, manufacturing these days in our country, it's different. It only accounts for about 12% of our U.S. economy, but still an extremely important part of our economy. Um, And then we saw the ISM Services Index, which, of course, we are a service-based economy these days. Um, 
that also growed uh, at a slower pace. It came in at a reading of 54.4 down from 56.7. It's the lowest number since May of 2020. So those reports weren't very good. Uh, just to to keep it simple. And then, of course, yesterday um, we have the jobs report that was released. Uh, Employers added 261,000 jobs. That was more than uh, the estimate. And um, uh, the unemployment rate ticked up to 3.7%. It was at 3.5%. But this is a very confusing jobs report. And some people are questioning things simply because it's right before the election. So I think we're going to have to really dive deep into that report. You know, the labor uh, piece versus the household survey. And just there's just some, some goofy things going on. Um, so some people are saying, oh, it's a last ditch effort to for you know, people to come out and say how great the economy is. And, and of course, that's what they were doing this week before um, Tuesday's election. But um, I'm, I'm going to withhold. I have more. Basically, I have more research to do because uh, I don't know that this is really as good as the headline number looks of adding 261,000. I hope it is because that would be good for uh, the economy and for the country and for workers, but I'm just not there yet. I don't know if that's really the case. And then, of course, uh, this week, uh, as expected, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by 75 basis points, three quarters of a percent, fourth straight month. Um, they're trying to bring down this crazy inflation that they watched happen um, and actually participated in because of uh, their monetary policies. So um, the market knew we were going to get that 75 point um, or yeah, 75 basis points increase. What they didn't know is what uh, Jerome Powell was going to say at the presser afterwards. And he just didn't. And he didn't impress anybody. You know, people just still don't know or believe that he knows what's going on and how to handle things. So, um, the market was very spooked by that. And then, of course, we're going to have to wait and see what happens with the elections, uh, even uh, knowing that uh, fiscal and uh, social moral conservatives are going to really uh, kick butt and take names next week. Um, if there is a relief rally because of gridlock government, I think it's going to be short lived. So um, we'll keep an eye on that. All right. So our discussion on the other side of this news break. Uh, Professor David Bernstein, he's going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about the uh, college admission case before the Supreme Court. Oh, this is good. Stay tuned. Well, I prayed for peaceful waters, but the storms already came, so let it rain. Let it rain when the going gets a little harder. Don't throw this. Paid for and authorized by friends of Jessica Fitzwater, John Daniels Treasurer. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD.
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can grab it there. I mentioned right before the break, we were going to be jumping into our discussion today. And again, you know, we've been, well, gosh, next week is our 25-year anniversary for the program. And uh, we have a wide range of topics uh, obviously, everything is tied in to the economy, to uh, the financial markets, uh, things of that nature. And today's topic might seem a little odd to some people from the outside looking in um, because it has to do with uh, a case regarding education admission this before the Supreme Court. But what I mentioned earlier was This is extremely important, number one, for uh, doing what's fair and what's right. Uh, But the other part is, as I've always said, we want the very best people, qualified people, in the best schools and in the best jobs because that's our future. So we don't want to water down anything that we don't have to. So we're talking with my guest this morning. Mr. David Bernstein, he's a university professor uh, at George Mason. He's the executive director of the Liberty and Law Center uh, at the Scalia Law School over in uh, Virginia. And he's been teaching since 1995 and has uh, connections to that lawsuit that I was talking about before the Supreme Court. Good morning, Mr. Bernstein. Good morning. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. I appreciate it. Um, So if you would, just give our listeners an overview about uh, Students for Fair Admissions and what's going on at the Supreme Court right now. Sure. So uh, there are really two cases that were at issue. There were lawsuits filed against University of North Carolina, which is the oldest public university in the country, and Harvard University, which is the oldest private university in the country. And the allegations were that they are uh, preferring black and Hispanic students over uh, white and Asian students uh, in admissions, and specifically at Harvard, that they were skewing their admissions results to ensure that they didn't have, quote-unquote, too many uh, Asian students. So the um, issues facing the court are very simple. First of all, the Supreme Court has held in the past that um, universities have a compelling interest in diversity in in their classes such that they could use race as one factor. Uh, So the first question is um, that when universities do that, they're supposed to do it in a very narrow, um, specific way where they're really thinking about what they're doing, why they're doing it, if they're doing it the right way. They're not supposed to be discriminating against any particular groups. So the first question is, are they violating the existing standard? But the more controversial issue in the case uh, is that the plaintiffs also asked the Supreme Court to say um, that they should overturn their prior rulings and hold that race, using race in admissions is not a compelling government interest, that the law, both the Constitution and civil rights laws, ban the use of race, and that um, that it should not be allowed in the future. Uh, So those are the two things that the Supreme Court has to decide. So you're a graduate of Yale Law School. Uh, I mentioned you've been uh, teaching since 1995, so you have a lot of experience, and um, and, and, and you uh, are a visiting professor 
at multiple universities, uh, along with being at George Mason. Um, how long has this been going on, and, and like when did you become aware of it? So this has been going on for yeah since the 1970s essentially, uh, and it's been always unpopular among the public, but among the elites at the universities, the government, the media, um, the use of race is both welcome and pervasive. So there have been lawsuits flying back and forth, and really what keeps happening, to be perfectly uh, uh, blunt about it, is the Supreme Court keeps saying who judges in university context, but other contexts too, you know, we don't want to completely say you can never use race because there might be these very limited circumstances where it's helpful or, or useful or whatnot. So here we'll give, you, we'll give you this very narrow way that you're allowed to use it, and the reaction of the players, the university officials and so forth is, oh, the Supreme Court said we could do whatever we want as long as we don't have a formal quota. So that's the back and forth that I keep seeing. The Supreme Court says, here's this very narrow way you could do this, and you know, giving uh, you know uh, an inch and uh, the other side taking the yard, basically, and saying, oh, well, as long as we do it kind of surreptitiously and don't say we're using a quota, we could do whatever we want. And as far as, you know, what I'm concerned, I mean, obviously this has been a pervasive thing in uh, universities, certainly since I went to university in Boston in the mid to late 80s and 90s, and this was already very apparent. I think one thing that, you know, I wrote a book called Classified, the Untold Story of Racial Classification in America, and, you know, it just uh, came out in July, and so I filed an amicus brief, a friend of the court brief based on that book, because... I had something I thought that was a little bit new to add to the whole argument, which is you know, the argument's always been reverse discrimination or not, or uh, is it just uh, you know diversity or making up for past discrimination? And I said, look, whatever your viewpoint on whether universities, for example, should be able to use race, the way they use it is incredibly crude and absurd because they use these classifications for race that are based on these government rules back from the 70s that weren't very well thought out. So universities, for example, when Harvard is putting people into the different categories, they put them in basically white, Hispanic, uh, Native American, Indian, Asian American, uh, and African American. And then you start with these classifications. What does that mean to be Asian American? Right? Asian American could be anyone from Pakistan to the Philippines to China. These are not people who have anything in common except that they come within this uh, sort of arbitrary classification. So if Harvard says, hey, we're looking for diversity and we just have too many Asians, to me that's a meaningless statement because you be, if you have 50 Chinese and 50 Indians, why would that make you less diverse if you then took in someone whose family came from Malaysia or Vietnam or somewhere? They're not to say it's sort of racist, really, to, to get anyone who happens to be from a whole huge part of the world where 60% of the population uh, lives should be considered part of the same category. Yeah, no, and I think many, many, many people, most in general, would agree with that. It's It just makes absolutely no sense, and like you said, it's so arbitrary. And one of the articles I read on this earlier in the week, um, it said as an example that Harvard, uh, an Asian applicant with academics in the top 10%, has a 12.7% chance of getting in with the same grades and test scores. Um, a black student has a 56.1% in that same scenario. That that makes absolutely no sense. And I think, you, you know, you use the term reverse racism um, earlier. I think a lot of people would view it that way. 
Yeah, and certainly, you know, I don't think anyone is arguing that universities can't take into account when they're looking at your you know, high school record at your test scores, that you were struggling in some way, your family was uh, poor, you were homeless, you went to a terrible high school where there weren't a lot of classes, but you overcame those obstacles. So the issue isn't whether you, so really the underlying issue is not whether uh, universities should be allowed to take adversity into account or overcoming obstacles or even, you know, other relevant factors that aren't you know, designed to be taken into account by, like, the SAT or whatever. The question is, should race per se, without anything else, be something that universities consider? Uh, and I think you're right. There are very few people actually think that's a good idea, but um, it is nevertheless something that universities, at least, you know, selective universities, basically do universally. Yeah, and it always, to me, and I think a lot of folks that have listened to the program over the last uh, couple decades, is that, um, you know, if you're laying on an operating table or if I need legal representation, you know, I'm not going to care about uh, Mr. David Bernstein's, you know, what color he is or his background, or uh, excuse me, I do care about your background because it would have to do with your success uh, through your schooling and, and, and your work. But, you know, your your religious bend or any of that stuff, and I, it just seems we've gotten so far away from that, and things just tend to get watered down, and I don't think that that's good, as I mentioned earlier, for America uh, at all, not good at all. Because eventually it comes into play for whether it's care for an individual, uh, protecting an individual, um, adding to the American economy and the financial success of this country. Look for at least for you know I think I think especially for for professional schools that is really a sound point. Like for medical school, you know, you want doctors who are going to be the most competent doctors. For undergraduate colleges, there's a case to be made that true diversity is useful. It's having lots of different people from coming from lots of different perspectives, but to use race crudely, you know, like I said, the categories are crude. I mentioned uh, you know, and I go through how this all occurred in my in my book class. But uh, I mentioned the Asian classification, but, you know, uh, the white classification, I mean, what does someone whose family came from Iceland have in, someone, have in common with someone whose family came from Hungary, with someone whose family came from Morocco? Those are all considered white classifications. Uh, they're all deemed white by Harvard and UNC, but they come from very different perspectives. So if universities were really interested in getting different perspectives, instead of asking you to check the race box, they would just ask you sort of an open-ended question, like, what life experiences have you had that might add to, you know, making this an interesting, uh, intellectually diverse campus? And that could have something to do with your background. It could be you're a refugee from Bosnia, and that's kind of interesting. But it could also be that you went on a mission trip when you were 15 and something really profound happened to you. It could be a religious experience you had. It could be, you know, a whole, a whole variety of Things. It could be how you have, have have become a fan of some obscure philosopher who you think should uh, get more attention, uh, that you really would love to talk about that in your philosophy classes. 
whatever it is, there are all sorts of ways that one can contribute intellectually to a campus, but the mere fact that you're from one of these, you know, random classifications, you know, saying, oh, well, this person is white and this person is quote-unquote Asian, this person is Hispanic, which could be anyone from someone who's from Spain and 100% European to someone who's 100%, you know, Indian from Mexico, uh, you know, Native American Indian, uh, the, the, the idea that these classifications really um, are coextensive with life experience is kind of uh, very, um, very blunt, a very blunt, a very blunt and ineffective tool at achieving true diversity. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. Um, if you're uh, listening and you'd like more information on the topic today, you can go to uh, studentsforfairadmissions.org. Obviously, if you're driving, don't try to write it down. That's not safe. Just uh, drop me an email and I'll get you that website. And also, uh, before our break, uh, Mr. Bernstein, how do people get classified your book? You should be able to just go to Amazon and type in Bernstein Classified or Classified the Untold Story, and it should come up, or any of the other websites, Walmart or Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy books, you might be able to find it in a local bookstore or library. You can ask them to order it if they don't have it. And the Kindle version is only 10 bucks, so uh, not too big a dent in your wallet if you have to want to read it. I mean, and, you know, if anyone, if your listeners do read it and want to, like, you know, let me know what they think, if they have any comments, I'd love to hear from them. Perfect. Thank you for that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap up our conversation with uh, our guest this morning, Mr. David Bernstein, and uh, kind of get his uh, hedge on what he thinks gonna, may happen with the Supreme Court. It's been a too long time. No peace of mind I'm ready for the times to get better 930 WFMD is at your service Featuring local business people who are experts in their field This weekend, J-Day and the Day Home Team of Real Estate Teams This Saturday morning at 8 on 930 WFMD Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to uh, Apple Podcasts. You can grab it there. Uh, Wrapping up our conversation with our guest this morning, Mr. David Bernstein. Uh, He's the uh, head of the Scalia uh, law school over at George Mason, uh, graduated uh, from Yale with his uh, uh, JD. And um, we've been talking about this case that's before the Supreme Court, uh, in particular against uh, University of North Carolina and Harvard, um, although there are others, as uh, Mr. Bernstein mentioned, um, and what this may mean for future education uh, here in the country. So, uh, Mr. Bernstein, what how do you feel about, you know, uh, this week was oral arguments, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah, how do you Monday. feel about things? Well, judging from the argument, I think, you know, we have a 6-3 majority who are, are pretty conservative, and I think the abortion case last spring showed they're not, um, they're not shy about overturning precedent. So I expect that Harvard and UNC will uh, lose, and the only question is whether there'll be some last-ditch effort to try to write a relatively narrow opinion, which will still allow some room for race, or whether the court will just say, you know, we've had it, uh, uh, no more, uh, and we don't want any more excuses. And I, you know, I think they'll likely be more inclined towards the latter. 
if only because, like I said, the pattern has been that the court gives like a limited authority to use race for limited purposes in limited circumstances, and instead of the the the, the uh, parties involved taking that really seriously, they just say, "Oh, we could do whatever we want because you know it's really expensive to sue us. No one's going to bother. So as long as we don't do it in a really ham-handed way that makes it obvious that we're going to have quotas, we could do whatever we want." And I think uh, there's probably probably the courts lost patience with that. By yeah, point. and and I understand that um, that the newest judge, Jackson, uh, had to recuse herself because of her connection to Harvard for that piece, right? Yes, that's true. Yeah. Okay. So how does that play out then? If you're down one justice, I mean, you're still looking for the majority, I guess, right? Yeah. You know, in this, I don't think it'll make much of a difference in this case. We're looking at 6-2 versus 6-3, potentially. Uh, the only, I guess, I think really the, the Noah Jackson's vote wasn't really in question. Uh, but I do think that um, the issue will be, you know, will the justices uh, write something relatively narrow? And I think, you know, in the past also, the court was very inclined being, you know, the part of the elite themselves and deferred to institutions like Harvard. But I think that Harvard and other elite colleges and uh, parts of our society have become so hostile, like there's such a divergence in worldview between them and the more conservative justices. I don't know. Like Kavanaugh used to teach at Harvard, but once he was kind of falsely accused or at least accused with no evidence of sexual assault, Harvard just dropped him like a hot potato. So, you know, whereas 20, 30 years ago, someone like Justice Kavanaugh might have thought, well, you know, it's Harvard, we should give him some leeway. I don't think the justices are inclined to be so charitable anymore. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Again, just, you know, call balls and strikes and, and do what's right and constitutional, and hopefully this, uh, this current court's going to give us that. My guest this morning has been Mr. David Bernstein. He is um, uh, the uh, – he's in charge of the Scalia Law School over George Mason, and uh, he's recently uh, released uh, his latest book, Classified, the Untold Story of Racial Classification in America. So um, if, uh, like I said earlier, if you're driving and you can't write down that title, just drop me an email and um, I'll, I'll send you the, uh, the title of the book. Also, you can go to studentsforfairadmissions.org. A ton of free stuff on this website, and you you know you can read all of these uh, papers and articles that have been uh, that have been uh, published on this and other important subjects. Mr. Bernstein, thanks so much for being with us and taking time uh, out of your schedule. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks, great to be here. Okay, take care. Enjoy the rest of the weekend, and uh, that does it for us. We um, we're out of time, so we'll uh, we'll we'll leave it there. Um, I'll talk with you on the Morning News Express with uh, Bob Miller, Ryan Hedrick. Those are uh, live calls, 556 weekday mornings. And then we'll see you here uh, next weekend for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. Wish every porch had a swing Wish kids still learn to say sir and ma'am How to shake a hand I wish every state had a Birmingham 
Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com, a service of Holtzapel Heating and Air Conditioning. News Radio 930, WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.